And this morning we once again have the privilege and the responsibility to sit under the authority of God's Word as we look once again to the book of James, James chapter 3. We've already seen James deal with a wide variety of very practical issues concerning the Christian life. He has helped us to see what new life looks like in practical rubber-meets-the-road kind of language. He's shown us the sin of partiality. We saw that in chapter 2 in the first half of that chapter. Um, Most recently when we were together and looked at James, we looked at the relationship between faith and works. And this morning we're going to delve into chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And here in this text, James circles back around and touches on a topic that he's already dealt with in chapter 1, and that is the power and danger of the tongue is the title of our lesson. And I think it is um, helpful to think of it in those terms. He's told us in chapter 1 that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Those are rather strong words. And he continues that, that line of strong words here in chapter 3. And he pulls uh, these vivid images from nature to help us understand the power and the danger of the tongue. And there's three things here that we must not miss. Must not miss. One is the disproportionate power of the tongue. It's a small thing within our bodies, and yet it, it can cause great harm. The disproportionate power of the tongue. Secondly, the deadly danger of the tongue. And then finally, the sinful inconsistency of the untamed tongue. So as we look to God's word, let us first pause and pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. And we will read our text from James 3. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we need your help as we look at your word. Lord, we are sinful, we are failing, we are falling, Lord, and yet you have placed your spirit within your people and you have enlightened their eyes into the knowledge of the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that as your Holy Spirit has inspired these words that are before us many years ago, that your Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, would illuminate this text to our minds and to our hearts this morning. Lord, your word is, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and Lord, it, it cuts. And Lord, I pray that it would cut this morning. That it would cut out the sin out of our hearts. That it would cut the dross from our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be um, honest with ourselves as we look at your word. And I pray that your word would do its work within us. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. James chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not so to be, ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us this morning in his holy and inerrant word. Now, many of you will have likely heard the childhood rhyme, which goes like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, that has probably been said by well-meaning parents who are trying to build some re resilience in their children that are maybe too sensitive to the hurtful words that so often come our way and so often come the way of our children as well. Yet there's a problem with it, and that is that it's simply not true. That words can and words do hurt us. James is telling us here in this text that there is a danger in the tongue. He's telling us that we need to guard our speech, yes, but there's, there's more that he is telling us. He is saying that there is a way in which we can measure our spiritual maturity. James is really writing to believers to help them understand what spiritual maturity looks like. And he's saying here in this text that one of the marks, one of the measures of spiritual maturity is the control of the tongue. For the tongue is an indicator of our spiritual health. We could say that the tongue is the barometer of the soul. Our text begins with a, a few words to would-be teachers. And he is warning those that would teach. I think it's particularly within the context of the church that there is, that there is something they must keep in mind. This section is general in nature. I think it is directed towards all of us. But yet he begins with particular admonition to those within the church that would desire to teach God's word. I think that the reason for this is that it is so easy for us as teachers of God's word to sin with our tongues. We must be careful about how and what we teach. Those that are considering teaching God's word should examine their hearts. They should examine their motives. Is it just that they want to be seen of men? Is it just that they want the praise of men? They should also examine their life. Is their life consistent with the message of Scripture? Do they walk the walk as well as talking the talk? And they should also examine their words. Is what they are teaching in accord with God's word? Are they teaching the truth of his word? James reminds them that they, I should say we, and include myself, will be judged with a greater strictness. They should check their heart. They should check their life. They should check 
their words. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking that, that before I went to seminary, I was working a job where I would work for hours, sometimes in, in solitude, and not speak to people that I worked with uh, because I was focused on one particular task. Now, by God's grace, I'm here and I'm grateful to be here. I enjoy teaching God's word, yet I have a lot more words to share. I am seeking to share God's word with you. And for all that would be teachers of God's word, we must beware. We must beware that our words are right, that our words are measured, that our words are careful. He's saying would be teachers, you that would be teachers, beware. And he uses this warning as kind of a jumping off place to give us this general admonition about the tongue. That the tongue has great potential and great power much beyond its size and strength. And he, he uses these two vivid analogies to show us the disproportionate power of the tongue. The first, of course, as we have read, it's that of the bit controlling the horse. Now, I'm not a horseman. I've ridden a horse a few times, only enough to make me dangerous. I'm not an authority. But I do know that that little piece of metal, within, if it's placed right and the horse has been trained well, okay, then that little bit guides that huge animal. That little piece of metal within the mouth controls the whole animal. The second analogy he takes is that of a rudder and a ship. It doesn't take a big rudder to steer a, a large ship. And, and when we have smaller boats, the rudder is even smaller. I did a little research to think about the largest ships. Now, I'm from Wichita, Kansas. There's not many ships that, there's, there's no ships that make it all the way up the river to the middle of Kansas where I'm from. The nearest port is two hours away, and it's just a, a port to load and unload barges that, that go on down to larger rivers. But so I'm somewhat fascinated with ships, and so I looked about aircraft carriers, the biggest ships that I could think of, which are some of the largest ships, over 11, or about 1,100 feet long, weighing about 100,000 tons. They're basically floating cities with about 6,000 sailors on board. The rudders for those, there's two rudders, they're 22 feet by 29 feet, which are large, but in relation to the size of the ship, it's about one-tenth of one percent of the size of the ship. A really small rudder controls that huge ship as it goes across the ocean. So think of all that power, all that weight controlled by something that is so small relative to the size of the ship, and that's what our tongue is like. That's what our tongue is like. It's, it's, it's a powerful thing given its small size. It packs a powerful punch. James says it boasts of great things. In other words, it has great potential. It's small but mighty, and it has power much beyond its size. We should think that there is great potential for good in it. In it. In the book of Proverbs, we're told again and again of, of the, the power of good words, that we need to express good and kind words. Chapter 16 in, in Proverbs talks about our words, that pleasant words, words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. I hope that you have been the recipient of encouraging words. I can think of times just... Over the past few years, uh, my seminary experience was a great and glorious experience in many ways, but there were dark valleys that the Lord led us through in that. 
And I remember that before I was called to Christ Church, I was, um, uh, I was interviewing for a position, and, and um, they told me, they called me to tell me I, I didn't get the position. And then he shared just a brief, even a portion of a, a verse from Psalms that was so hugely encouraging to me. I hope that's true in your life, that there's been times when you've been in a dark valley and someone's come along and shared God's word or a, or a principle from God's word that has lifted you up, that has been that pleasant word that was sweet to your soul and health to your bones. So I ask you, are you seeking to give those kinds of words? Are you seeking to use this small member within your mouth in ways that glorify God? Are you praying for opportunities to speak encouraging words to others? Jonathan Edwards, as when he was a young man, of course, hopefully you know, Jonathan Edwards was one of the greatest theologians and philosophers in American history. And when he was a young man, he penned 70 resolutions to guide him in his life. Some of those dealt with his speech. A couple of them were these. One, he said, number 34, actually, he says, resolved in narrations never to speak anything but the pure and simple verity or the truth. We talked about that in relation to the ninth commandment, that we should always speak truth with our words, with our mouth, with our tongues. And the last one he said, and I love this, let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak, something of kindness in all that I speak. It reminds me of the little phrase, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all, okay? And that's kind of what, what Edward is saying here. Let there be kindness in all that I speak. And I ask that of you. Are your words that you speak, or those words that you text, or those words that you post on social media, or is there kindness resonating in and through them? How are you using your tongue for God's glory? The tongue has a great power for good, but it, for, unfortunately it also has a disproportionate power for evil. And that's really the thrust of this message here that James is talking about. There's, it's it's kind of negative. It's, it's pretty heavy when we think about it. There's more emphasis on the dangers of the tongue than on the goodness of the tongue in this particular text. The author says, look how big of a forest fire can be started by just a small fire. Or spark. I think that should, for, for many of you, and, and some of you I know have lived in western states where, where you have encountered forest fires. And you have dealt with that reality. Somebody came up to me between the services and told me about a fire in 2002 that happened in um, Colorado. It was called the, the uh, Hayman Fire. And it burned 135,000 acres. The interesting thing was, it began when a young lady was burning the words that her boyfriend, or, for, or maybe former boyfriend, was, had written to her. The further irony was that, is, of that was is that she was a Forest Service employee of all things. So behold how little of a spark, a great fire, from which a great fire can be kindled. I, as we said a few moments ago, I hope there's times that you can remember words of encouragement. But I'm sure that for most of us, we could also remember times where we've been hurt by words. Where we've been cut down. Where we've felt humiliated, hurt, beyond belief sometimes, by a small tongue that can cause deep wounds. 
So we must guard our words because there is a disproportionate power of the tongue. James goes on to tell us of the deadly danger of the tongue in verses 6 through 8. And he, while he was comparing it with the bit and the rudder and how those control much larger things, here he is, he is taking it and, and he is dispensing of the simile and going to metaphor, if you will. He's saying, this is what our tongue is. He says, and he, he lists six things in three verses. He says, first of all, it is a fire. Well, think about it. A fire destroys. A fire is devastating. A fire moves quickly and destroys that which is in its path. It, it kills. The tongue is a fire. He says, secondly, it's a world of wickedness. That's a little bit hard to understand exactly what, what James might be saying here. One commentator, I think, said it well when they pointed out that the tongue is the most difficult member of the body to control. And that therefore, the tongue becomes the conduit by which all the evil of the world around us, around us comes to expression in us. In other words, the, the tongue is so challenging to control that it is able to express all the sinfulness and ugliness that's inside of us. The tongue can easily express all of the sin within our hearts. We're familiar with the fact that Proverbs makes much of, of the, the tongue and how it's used and our words. We can't imagine them, uh, the, the author of Proverbs dedicating similar space to how we should be careful with our toe or our foot. Although we can sin with our foot, but it's the tongue that is dangerous. It's the tongue that expresses what is within us. Jesus warned his disciples about it when he said that it is what comes out of us that defiles us. He said in, in Matthew 15, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Matthew 15, 18 through 20a. It expresses what is in, really, within our hearts. And therefore, James says next, he says that it pollutes the whole person. Remember from the end of James 1, again, looking back at that introductory chapter, he said that part of pure religion is to keep yourself unstained, unspotted from the world. And the tongue can express the pollution, in a sense, that's in our hearts. And it pollutes our whole self as it is the conduit to expose all the sin that is within us. The tongue can set on fire. It can destroy the whole course of a man's life. And that's why we say that it is the barometer of the soul. It is that which indicates the health of what is inside. He says next that it is untamable. Perhaps you're... Bible is like mine, and, and before the first verse of chapter 3, it says taming the tongue as a heading. Uh, I, would, I would remind you that those headings are not inspired. That is not part of God's inspired word. That's something the editor has put in there for divisions and to help us think about the, the topic of the next section. I think a better heading would be the untamability of the tongue. 
the untamability of the tongue because James says in verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. We cannot tame it. And he says, he again draws illustrations from the natural world. He says, beasts we can tame, birds can be taught, even reptiles and sea creatures can, can be tamed at least in some way, yet the tongue can no man tame. We can teach a dolphin to throw a ball, we can teach an elephant to stand on a ball, but we can't tame this little member within our mouth, our tongue. Why is that? Because it's a restless evil, James says next. The, the root word in the original for restless is the same word that James used in chapter 1 for unstable, where he said the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Remember that text? I hope that's familiar to you because what he's doing is, is he's, he's stressing there in the first chapter that we should be steadfast. We should be unmovable. We should be single-minded in our love and devotion for God. Yet, too often we're double-minded. Too often we are looking this way and then that way. We are not headed in a singular direction. We're, try, we're following the world. We're following Christ. We're, we're divided in our allegiance. And so that's why James says that the tongue is a restless evil. It shows us what is in us, that if we are not steadfast, we are unstable. We're restless. And then finally he says... And, and this seems to be the clincher, that the tongue is full of deadly poison. So just in case we're thinking there's a shred of good that, that is in us outside of Christ, James tells us that, that the tongue is full of deadly poison. I think about that, that word and, and what symbol comes to your mind. For me, it's the skull and crossbones, the universal symbol of poison that you see on the outside of a bottle of something that would, that would kill you. It's, it's death. It's deadly. Don't take it. This will be to your demise. And James says, that's our tongue. And maybe you, like me, are feeling a little bit queasy right now thinking about this thing that is within you that's part of your body that's attached to you, that you use, that you use to speak, we should feel uneasy about our tongues because James says it reveals what's inside. Have you ever wished that you could unsay something? I have. Have you ever said words that you knew were hurtful when they rolled off your tongue? Husbands, maybe it was something spiteful you said to your wife. Maybe it was in haste. Maybe it was unintentional or maybe it was because there's a little dark corner of your heart that wants to hurt your wife. If that's the case, I hope you're sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to regret this and repent quickly of that sin. And ladies, you know it's not just husbands that say hurtful things. That can come from your mouth as well. Perhaps to your children, perhaps to a friend, perhaps to your husband. Children, this applies to you. I, we have been blessed with many children and seen more than our share, maybe, or at least our share of sibling rivalries and, and words that come from, from one another. Children, you, too, must guard your words. Our words can be deadly, and our tongues are dangerous, and that's the message James has for us. And he's not really telling us how to tame our tongues. He's just warning us, and he's saying, you can't do it. On your own. He really leaves us in a low place. James wants us to feel the weight of these comparisons, I think. 
And I think we should just let it settle down on us and think about it. And think about our own hearts as we reflect upon this. And then finally, James, after he warns us of all these dangers and tells us how evil and wicked the tongue is and can be, he shows us the sinful inconsistency of the untamed tongue because it's the untamed tongue that is double-minded, like we said. It seeks to do two things that are at odds, and it tells us in, in plain words here that with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. To bless God is to ascribe the proper glory and praise to Him. We bless the Lord when we sing His praise. Um, we bless the Lord when we join with the psalmist in Psalm 103 when he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And he continues with words of adoration and praise. That is blessing God. But then James says, wait a minute, if your tongue can bless God and then turn around and curse your neighbor and speak disparaging, slanderous words, something is dreadfully wrong. He says these things should not be. People are made in God's image, and that's what James is reminding us here. And, and we need to remember that even when that image is marred by sin, because it is for all of us, and especially so in unbelievers. But that means those whose skin color is different from you, whose ethnicity is different from you, whose political ideals are different from you, whose lifestyles are different, and whose choices are different from yours. And that's not to say that we should ever condone sin. If a person is living in a sinful lifestyle, it's not that we affirm them in that lifestyle, but we recognize that they are still creatures made in God's image. They too were made to worship their creator. They too need a savior, and it's our job to tell them about their creator and the God that loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them, for sinners like them. If we bless God in one moment and then turn around and curse those made in God's image, James tells us that things are not as they should be. I like the power and the force and the poetry of the King James, which says, Brethren, these things ought not so to be. It's not right. It's not according to nature. And then he takes us again in the final verses, in, in verses 11 and 12, again back to nature to say, See, see how... How these things would be wrong in nature, they are wrong within your heart as well. And he says in verse 11, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I was thinking about this, and I, I, I've been privileged to canoe on a few of the, of the beautiful, clear... Um, rivers in southern Missouri that are, that are great for canoeing. Some of those are, many of those are spring-fed. And I remember canoeing down one of those and coming up on a place where there was this huge underground spring just pumping thousands and thousands of gallons of water into this, this river. And I remember trying to paddle my canoe up into the pool where the water was coming out. I couldn't do it. There was so much force with which this water was coming out of the ground. If, if that spring would all of a sudden start producing brackish, salty, nasty, murky water 
you would think something is dreadfully wrong underground. Someone has poisoned the spring. Someone has done something very bad to cause this to happen. That's not the way things should be. We think about it in relation to plant life. If we want figs, we go to a fig tree. If we want blackberries, we plant a blackberry bush. If we want peaches, we don't plant an apple tree. We plant a peach tree so we can have peaches. And so James is saying that, that look at nature. Nature is well-ordered. But it is not well-ordered. It is not the way things ought to be. If you sing praise with your mouth, Bless God with your mouth and then curse your neighbor. And then respond in ways that are backbiting and hurtful and evil. Participating in gossip, slander, with malice in your heart. That's going to come out on your tongue. And we should not ignore these things. Because, like we said, it is the barometer of the soul. The, and the reason I like that that analogy is, is that the, a barometer measures something that we cannot easily see with our eyes. It measures atmospheric pressure. It measures something that is not readily evident. And that's the way our tongue is. Because if you look at a person, if you look at your neighbor, don't do it right now, but if you look at your neighbor that's sitting next to you, you won't know necessarily all that's in their heart. But often it's when you listen to one another that you see what is in their hearts. It reveals what is in the heart. If a weatherman ignores the barometer, it is much to his demise. And if we ignore the barometer of our souls, our tongues, it is much to our demise as well. It tells us what is truly in the heart. So what do we do? James really does kind of leave us in a low condition here, a low place. Um, you'll have to come back when we come back to James here in a few weeks or months to, to see about the divine wisdom that he preaches and tells us about in the final verses of chapter 3. But who is the divine wisdom of God? It's Jesus Christ. And we, we talked in our Sunday school class this morning about resisting temptation and the assurance that we can have that Christ intercedes for us. He was in all points tested, tempted, like as we are yet without sin. He endured temptation perfectly. He paid the price for our sins. And He now sits at the right hand of God the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. So if you, like James here... See the inconsistency of your tongue and your heart. Bring it to Christ. Take it to Christ, whoever lives to intercede for you. Romans 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And if that applies to you, if you've never come to, to Christ in faith, Trusting in Him for your salvation, forsaking sin, and relying upon Him for salvation. Come to Him in faith this morning. I invite you, come to Christ. Perhaps you've walked with God for a number of years. And James's strong words to us here in chapter 3 have convicted your heart. Perhaps you would say, if I'm honest, my words don't show a beautiful heart. They show an ugly heart. Then I invite you too to come to Christ and seek Him. Immerse yourself in His Word 
May his thoughts penetrate and permeate through your thoughts. Meditate upon God's word. Reflect upon it. And cry out in mercy for mercy from God. For there is mercy. Bring it to Christ. Ask him to cleanse you on the inside. So that the things that come from your tongue are the sweet words that are health to the bones. Let us pray.